Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Package Tourist, hosted by yours truly, The Package Tourist and the Magical Mystery Tour called Life, Matthew DiBiase. Tonight's guest is author and police historian, Sergeant Mike Simmons. Mike lives in Pensacola, Florida, and has served as a police officer and police historian since 1994. Mike has compiled and researched historical information and has written articles about the Pensacola Police Department, one of the oldest police departments in American history. Last year in January, March, May, and November, he released four books, three of which discuss the history of the Pensacola Police Department, Pensacola's Finest in Pictures, a photographic history of the Pensacola Police Department, Pensacola's Finest, the story of the Pensacola Police Department, and Stories of Pensacola's Finest, fascinating stories of one of the most historic police departments in the United States, while his fourth book discusses an unsolved murder in Pensacola, Florida, with links to the JFK assassination. Well, Mike, welcome to the show. What led you to become a police historian? Well, it was kind of interesting. Uh, my father was a city police officer with Pensacola also. Um, and, and so I kind of grew up, you know, around the old cops and, and hanging around the station and, and probably being a nuisance more than anything. And, and so I became uh, an officer uh, after my father passed away. I became an officer in, in 1986. And I got his old badge and um, <clears throat> wore it for my career. Well, I'd been there a few years, and, and um, the chief uh, mentioned that he needed a historian. And so I, I already felt like that. I knew a lot of the old guys, so I said, I'll do it. And um, probably also because nobody else I don't think wanted to. <laughs> but anyway, so I just kind of started collecting the, the old pictures and the old stories and, and looking and digging into things. And, and then um, uh, before I knew it, I was the, the, uh, the go-to guy the historian go-to guy. And um, so when I retired, like a lot of people, I said, you know, people say, well, I'm gonna write a book. So I did. And I, and I titled it uh, Pensacola's Finest. And um, then um, it was, it, it really went over real well. It was, uh, it's, it's a, bunch of, a bunch of stories in addition to um, the, the, the timeline, the history, and then the, the history of some of the, um, division, some of the sections within the department. Now, Mike, how long did it take you to write the four books? Well, it was kind of interesting because my wife teased me to the first book, it took me 20 years because I collected all the old stuff and all, and I finally uh, just put it together. It probably, the, the writing of it probably took uh, six or eight months. And, and there was a lot of um, experimentation. I've never written a book before and uh, um, uh, self-published. So it, it probably did that, but once I got the, the, the uh, over the questions about, okay, how do you go about this in the process, I, um, I, I wrote the rest of them within a year. And um, I already had the, a lot of the stories, <clears throat> most of the stories in mind, I already had the photographs. And so it, it was a matter of just taking what I knew and, and, and putting it down and, and just typing it. Now, were these books done with the blessings of the Pensacola Police Department? Were they aware of what you were doing? What, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm still friends with them. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, pretty much carte blanche. I, I come in and talk to anybody I want anytime. They're, they're very, very open about it. Um, the, uh, the, the, some of the, or a lot of the, the uh, older uh, officers are in the book. And so 
uh, we went step by step together. They, they, uh, I have their blessings. Okay. What you say the Pensacola Police Department is one of the oldest in America. Is it the oldest, Mike? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't know. Uh, when I started researching, it's kind of interesting because the first question I had to tackle was, well, when does the police department begin? Mm. I mean, policing policing has taken place, or enforcement of the rules mm. has taken place in every uh, every community, every village, every civilization. There, there have been. So in Pensacola, Pensacola is, uh, it's, it's an, an old city. Um, it actually was founded in 1559. Um, mm. St. Augustine is considered the oldest city in, in uh, Florida uh, because Pensacola was founded first. St. Augustine was founded six years later, but, but uh, a hurricane wiped, wiped Pensacola off the map for a while. And then they came back. But during that time, um, when when the uh, the Spanish uh, came over and settled in Pensacola, um, Don Tristan de Luna uh, was the the governor, and he had uh, a, a a constable. It's called Nahuizal, uh the Spanish word, and, and so they had law enforcement, if you want to call it that. And, and even before that, the Native Americans did. Well, it wasn't necessarily a department, and then. And then you fast forward to the to the British, and uh, a man by the name of James Johnstone was the constable. And uh, so, when when Florida became part of the United States, it was in 1821, and the the, the constable at the time that was appointed was named James Craig. So mm. the police department kind of says, "Okay, well, that's when we started." And and even then, it was a it was a a, a one-person department, if you want to call it that, and mm. and that that probably stayed that way for uh, 20 to 30 years. Then um, you know had assistants and more and more employees, and and so uh, there are a lot of of, of, of departments that <clears throat> were were founded in the 1800s, but 1821 is when when uh, our department started. And uh, like I said, I don't know whether or not other agencies started in the 1850s as as an official um, department, but ours was officially sanctioned by Andrew Jackson on um, on July 19th of, of 1821. Mike, based on your research of all of Pensacola, Florida's police commissioners, who, in your based on your research and in your opinion, was probably the most influential uh, police commissioner uh, for the Pensacola PD in terms of ins being an inspirational presence, uh, modernizing its equipment, you know, and, and ways of, you know, uh, ca catching criminals, in your opinion. Right. Well, there are three that, that really come to mind the minute when you ask that. Uh, in in, in uh, 1927, um, a man by the name of uh, Willie O'Connell took over and he was there until 1947 and his presence went through um, the depression and it went through World War II and and he held the line if you want to call it that he was mm -hmm. the 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 the, the uh, calm that was the anchor of really the city 
and Willie O'Connell was there for for many years uh, under his under under his uh, chiefdom, if you want to call it that. He was a, the chief of police. He was there were there were officers that were killed in the line of duty, and he he mm. held the group together. Mm. He did a great job. Okay. In, in 1962, a man by the name of Drexel Caldwell became the chief of police, and he served until 1974. Mm. He um, really brought forth the idea of, of police training, mm. and he moved the, our, our part of Florida. We're in the panhandle of Florida, and he moved our part of Florida into professionalism by by insisting the officers uh, are better educated and they're better trained and they're act more professional. Um, I knew Chief Caldwell, he, he hired my father. And then before he passed away, he gave me a lot of information. And I used to go to his house and sit and listen to him and um, a, a really a, a really sharp guy. Then following him, there was a man by the name of James Davis that became chief. And he served only six years from 74 to 80. And James Davis was the most intelligent and the most educated of any of the chiefs we've ever had. And he was very, um, very studious. He was not a, um, what, what we would consider a, a rough and tumble chief. He was very much, much an intellectual. Mm. And he brought um, kind of a new way of looking at things, uh, a more professional way of looking at things to the department and kind of, uh, in a way, he raised the entire, um, the way that, that the department was viewed by the public, uh, did a really great job. When you were researching your books, what, in your opinion, what was the most notorious crime ever committed in the city of Pensacola? Who committed it and was it ever solved? You know, did the police ever get their man or woman? Right. Well, uh, there have been a lot of them and over the years and... Uh, two come to mind that were 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 interesting. Uh, one was probably the most notorious, and, and it's still unsolved. But then one is um, uh, kind of an interesting, not ne necessarily notorious, but um, Ted Bundy was caught here. Yes, uh, Ted Bundy had had fled the the Northwest, and he um, eventually made his way to Pensacola uh, after he committed the, the, some murders in Tallahassee. And he was caught here uh, and attempted escape, but uh, he, he, was, he was not successful. Um, so there was a lot, of, um, a lot of attention brought to that case. And, 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 and it was funny because he was so charismatic that the, the officers really, really liked the guy. Mm. which was kind of interesting because they knew after, after they found out who he was, they knew he was, he was a cold blooded killer, yeah. but his charisma really um, was able to, uh, to, to bring people on his side, so to speak. And, and it was, it was kind of interesting how, how he worked that. But um, there was a man in 1926 by the name of Preston Pickern, and he was uh, a cab driver. He, and it was on July 4th of, of 1926, he and his wife had attended a, uh, a dinner. And afterwards, they came back home, uh, went to sleep. Their, their kids were in the next room. 
Uh, around four in the morning, the neighbors heard a noise that they couldn't identify, woke them up. Um, and, and they went next door and found that he and his wife and the kids had been attacked with a man by, with, that had an ax. Jeez. And he, he just he, he swung the axe and, 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 and injured all of them. Ouch. The, uh, none of them were, were dead, um, but Preston died two days later. Ouch. And uh, there was a, a young man that lived across the, the street from him that was a, um, they, they, the two families didn't get along at all. And they, um, his name was, was, um, I'm trying, I'm looking up now to see what his name was. But anyway, what he did was, uh, his name was George Taylor. George Taylor went back in his house just after the murder happened. The ax was there and, uh, a neighbor was heard asking George, a neighbor was heard the mother of George asking him where he got the blood on his clothes at and told him to burn his clothes and that he would hang for it. Jeez. Uh, she died after that. His mother did. Uh, George uh, was arrested and was interviewed by the grand jury. And for whatever reason, he was let go. Jeez. Uh, they found a piece of, of his um, overalls with blood on them. But he was let go. There are no records, no court records, to tell what happened. But they they released him, and and so it kind of, kind of like it just stayed like that for probably twenty years, and there was nobody that ever found what happened. Uh, and and then many many years ago, yeah, maybe many years after that, in 1949, a man named Robert Raymond Lasseter. Uh, was in South Carolina. He had been an original suspect and released, and he confessed. He said, my wife has died, and I want to confess because all these years I've kept it in, and I killed him. Well, they brought him back, and after interviewing him, they sent him to the home for mentally unstable. And they said, no, we can't prove he did it. We can't prove anybody did it. He did not do it. He didn't know enough about the details. So it's unsolved to this day. Very interesting case. Wow. Another interesting case, which you wrote about in one of your books, is about an unsolved murder linked to the JFK assassination. Please, can you tell our listeners about that? I mean, who who was the victim? What was this victim's link to the JFK assassination? Sure, sure. Yeah, it was uh, was a very interesting case. Um, Hank Killam grew up in Pensacola. His name is K-I-L-L-A-M. Okay. And he was a uh, uh, Pensacola native. He had several brothers who were pretty successful. Hank, though, was kind of a ne'er-do-well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, always in trouble. He was uh, petty thefts, burglaries, and things um, as he was growing up in his teenage years. And, and his, he and his family lived in the downtown area. His he lived with his mother. Uh, after a while, all the other brothers had moved out and his father had passed away, so it was just he and his mother. Um, but what Hank liked to do was hang around the, the bars, strip clubs at night, and the, the topless joints. Um, and then he would, he and his friends would, would commit petty crimes. And Well, he got caught at a burglary of a used car dealership around the corner from his house. Mm-hmm. He was arrested, 
and uh, the judge gave him, showed him leniency. He was a young man, and so he put him on probation. He asked, you know, are you going to be good? Yes, sir. Are you going to straighten up? Yes, sir. Well, as soon as the judge put him on probation, he, he left town, and he, he fled to Dallas. Mm. Uh, went back to his, his same habits, went back to uh, the topless joints and the bars, and um, he got a job as a house painter for a man by the name of John Carter. Mm-hmm. John Carter was roommates with Lee Harvey Oswald, mm-hmm. uh, the man who, who killed um, Kennedy. Uh, he also um, would one of the one of the bars he hung around. Would, he met Wanda, married Wanda. She was a dancer there, a waitress at um, Jack Ruby's club. And Jack Ruby <laughs> is the, the man who killed Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm-hmm. So he knew both of the men. He was he was familiar with both the men. Oh, wow. Um, he, he he would hang around um, Jack Ruby's place, and so much after they got married that he would be jealous about his wife flirting with the men, which is what they were supposed to do to make money. So uh, Jack Ruby fired her, and, and, and it, even Hank worked for him for a while, attended bar and things, but he fired him too. And Jack Ruby was pretty impulsive. He mm. would... He would say something or do something, and then later on he was fine. He was your buddy. And so he hired Hank back, actually, to make a couple of runs to New Orleans, mm. uh, which, by the way, Carlos Marcello was the, yeah. the mafia kingpin in, in New Orleans at the time and, and a suspect in the JFK murder. And he, he Hank made deliveries to New Orleans, but nobody really knows what he did there. Uh. Also, Lee Harvey Oswald was from New Orleans. Yeah. Coincidental, maybe, who knows? Um, So he was back in Dallas when JFK was was assassinated. But he wasn't, I mean, mournful. He was scared. He was scared to death. And and it was was pretty obvious he knew something. He knew something was up or something was going to be a problem. So he was, he, he read every paper he could. He watched every news broadcast he could. He... He tried everything to find out everything he could, but he was scared to death. He looked out the windows. He was worried, and he kept telling Wanda, he said, they're after me. He said, and she said, well, who? He said, agents and plotters. He did not describe who the agents and plotters were. He just said they were after him. So they kept on harassing, harassing, and finally, he looked at Wanda. He said, I'm going home, which meant I'm going to go home and face the, the warrant so for my arrest for violation of probation because that's better than than facing these guys. So he fled. Um, meanwhile, the agents and plotters found her and, and, and she eventually gave him said he went home. Well, he went to Pensacola for a while and then he left and he moved. He went to um, uh, uh, St. Petersburg and in St. Petersburg, his sister lived there. He got a job selling cars. But he got fired from it because they followed him down there and harassed him. He got another job there uh, selling cars at another place. And he got fired from there because they harassed him. So he left and, and came, took a bus back to Pensacola and arrived on the 16th of March of 1964. Mm. Now, November 22nd 
a few months before that, November 22nd, 63 is the day of the assassination. So it was only a few months later. Yeah. And so he told his brother when he got there, his brother was at his mom's house too, and he was there. And he told his brother, he said, listen, I'm a dead man, but I'm tired of running. And his brother said, well, what, what is going on? And he said, it's that Dallas thing. He said, but I don't want to tell you about it because they'll want to get you too. So that night, now he had a, a, a habit of uh, a drug abuse too. Mm. So he had barbiturates in the system, they're pretty sure. And he was absolutely so nervous. He couldn't sit down. He just paced back and forth. Uh, he was he was almost uh, uncontrollable. He was so nervous and, and so afraid and so paranoid. His mother called the police. And an old officer, young officer at the time, I, I knew I knew this guy later. Uh, his name was Henry Reeves. And Henry uh, arrived at the house. He knew Hank because Hank was, he was in trouble a lot. So everybody knew Hank. And he tried to talk to Hank, and Hank wouldn't talk to him, and he was scared to death. And So Henry looked at the mother, and he said, you need to take him to the hospital. And she said, uh, well, I've got a, an appointment with the psychiatrist tomorrow morning. He said, okay, put him in his room. You lay by the front door, by the door of his bedroom, and don't let him go anywhere. So that's what she did. And around four the next morning, uh, she sort of woke up to the phone ring, but Hank answered it. And then around 4.30, she woke up again to a car door slamming and a car driving off but they didn't have a car so she had no idea what it was she she freaked out she called the police henry reeves was still working he was working the midnight shift and he got there and she said he's i don't know where he is you got to find him so henry said we'll find him and about that time a call came out over the radio and they sent an officer named joe Irwin to um, a corner in downtown pensacola which is about five blocks from where they lived it was on the corner of Palafox and Intendentia Street. And they said there was a, 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 a broken out window in a store. Now, the store was called the Linen Store. And it was a, um, they sold they sold uh, sheets and pillows and pillowcases. Yeah. And they had a, a display in the window of, of, a, of a South African display and it, and it had a shrunken head in it. And, um, so as, as, as they arrived, Joe Irwin arrived about the same time Henry reached it, the plate glass window was smashed out and there was blood about five feet inside, uh, dripped about five feet inside. And then uh, back outside, all the way up the sidewalk, about 30 feet, and that's where Hank was laid. Jeez. So he had gone through a plate glass window, presumably, but there was one cut to his neck on the right side, um, and it cut his, his aortic valve, and he was just bleeding out. Yeah. So uh, Henry Reeves said, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll talk to you. He tried to talk to him. He couldn't. He said, okay, I'll talk to you at the hospital. Well, Hank died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. Henry didn't know what to do. I mean, what, what do you write? It's a death, but... It, what kind is it? Um, now, 
the the old rumor at the police department is that the phone rang at the desk that Henry was right to report at, and it was a lieutenant that said, um, Reeves, that's going to be a suicide. And he said, well, Lieutenant, it can't, it can't be a suicide. It's a suicide. Do you understand me? Oh, dear. And he said, yes, sir. So he wrote it up as a suicide, which doesn't make any sense to any police officer I've ever talked to that a man just jumps through a plate glass window to kill himself. Yeah. So the next morning, the county solicitor, I'm sorry, the coroner did the autopsy. And he said, no, it wasn't a suicide. It was an accident. And I thought, so he fell through the window. <laughs> so about uh, about five years later, the county solicitor was requested to open the case and reinvestigate it by Hank's brother. So he did, and he came back and said, no, it wasn't a suicide, and it wasn't an accident. He was hallucinating, and he jumped at that skull, uh, that, that picture of that small shrunken head, and he, and he attacked it because he was hallucinating on the barbiturates. And I thought to myself, you know, guys, I just, I just stayed with the suicide. <laughs> none of them make any sense. Yep. And uh, that's where it stands today. Mike, please tell our listeners, where can they find all four of your books? They're all four available on Amazon. Um, they're um, uh, $14.99 each. The... Um, the Pensacola's Finest in Pictures, which is probably a little bit smaller, is $12.99. And it's um, got a, a, a bunch of pictures of the department and members and, and, and equipment. And then uh, narratives below it, kind of like a, a small picture book. Okay. Um, and, and they're all available on Amazon. And they're called Pensacola's Finest, Pensacola's Finest in Pictures, Stories of Pensacola's Finest, and I'm a Dead Man. Okay. Mike, do you, do you anticipate doing another book project? And if so, when, what's the topic and when can we expect its release? Well, I am. I'm working on another one right now that is, uh, uh, we live in the county of Escambia County. Uh -huh. And I'm doing one on the sheriff's department called Escambia's Finance. And uh, I'm in the middle of it now. I, I would imagine it will probably be ready by the end of the summer. Wow. That's great. Mike, let me know when it does come out. I'll, I'd love to have you on my show again, okay? Great, great. I enjoyed it. And Mike, uh, one last question. Now, you're the son of a police officer. Have any of your kids uh, followed in your footsteps? Are they a part of the police department? No, uh, no, they're not. Uh, I've got two sons and a daughter. One son is a minister. One uh, son is a school teacher and a daughter is a school teacher. Uh, they, they don't want anything to do with it. Okay. And, and that's okay. That's all right. Mike, they, it's, they pursue what they like. Mike, thank you so much. It's an honor and privilege to have you here. And thank you for your service uh, to the people of Pensacola and being a first responder. And may God bless and keep you and your family always. Thank you. And you also. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for my next show, where I will be interviewing author and terrorism and political violence expert Jeffrey Simon. Thank you and good night.